You're listening to Everybody Pulls the Tarp, the go-to podcast for high performers. I'm Andrew Moses. Each week, you'll hear my thought-provoking conversations with Olympians, pro athletes, CEOs, elite coaches, best-selling authors, and other high performers to uncover their secrets to success. Get ready to be inspired each week when we talk about leadership, teamwork, work ethic, and more. Are you ready? Let's go. Hi, Joel. It's great to see you again. Welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Joel, I, I know we were reminiscing a little earlier. You know, we connected a bit during your days as an entrepreneur leading story blocks. At the time, it was video blocks. Now you're doing some really cool stuff as the CEO of Harvest Host. And I want to get into all that straight away here. So, Joel, for my audience, let's bring them up to speed. You've been an entrepreneur, it seems like, all your life. EY Entrepreneur of the Year, a top 25 entrepreneur under the age of 25 a number of years ago, small business administration, top entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is in your blood. But now you've bought a company that you're leading, Harvest Host. Tell the audience all about Harvest Host, because this is really cool. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, you're right. This is the first time I've purchased the company. So it's been about three years. It's different, but awesome if you do it right. And I was very fortunate. And so we'll we'll get into all of that. I'm now of the mindset, you know, the zero to one building process is hard, right? It's tedious. What I did at Storyblocks took like 10 years to then do it Harvest Host in six months. And so if you can skip the zero to one process and buy a company and apply, you know, skill sets, it can be way better. So I, I think there's like this blend of entrepreneurship and business purchasing, but Harvest Host is a membership club for RVers. And so if you own an RV, you join our club, get our membership. And you can then stay at over 2,000 really unique locations for free. And they include wineries, breweries, distilleries, golf courses, museums, and other attractions all over the country, all over 48, Alaska, and actually every province in Canada. And so I, so it's funny, I was living in Washington, D.C., building story blocks, got it to a certain point, ended up putting a CEO in place, TJ Leonard. He did an amazing job. I realized, you know, I was chairman of the board, but I could do that from anywhere, did not need to be there. My wife's a veterinarian. And the two of us were like, hey, like we have this opportunity to do whatever we want. Like we don't have kids yet. We're pretty free. What do you want to do? And we bought an RV. Like it was pretty impulsive, but we purchased an RV. And this was before COVID when everybody before was buying COVID. RVs. Totally. So yeah, good point. This is like, this is 2014 is when we bought the RV. And dabbled around and, and then essentially took two years and traveled through all the lower 48 states. And so we, we really like took to the RV lifestyle, loved the freedom, the flexibility, the control over your schedule and your destiny, loved the community, ended up in Colorado. So we did this two years, ended up in Vail, Colorado, bought a home here. We've now lived here full time since, which has been amazing in and of itself. But that whole process of traveling in the RV opened me up to this whole new industry, right? Like it turns out RVing is like a $150 billion industry, massive 14 million RV owners in the United States, 42 million Americans are going to RV this year. And this is all pre-COVID numbers, right? COVID has kicked it into another gear, but RVing was one of these like niches that nobody knew about, but it turns out a really big one. And I shouldn't say no one knew about it, but like it wasn't mainstream. So I started looking at, you know, could I build a business in this Industry that I really like, and that's larger than and it has a larger addressable market than most people think. That's how I came across Harvest Hosts. 
And so that was kind of the backstory was, you know, I found this company. I was like, this is super cool. You know, you as an entrepreneur, you do the build versus buy decision. And for me, they had already built such a great infrastructure of locations that I could come in and apply some technology expertise and marketing expertise to really grow it. And that's what we did. Let, let's go back a, a step, Joel, because I'm always curious. One of the questions I always have for entrepreneurs is where do the ideas come from, right? Because with Storyblocks, we'll, we'll get to that. But like with Harvest Host, you spend a lot of time thinking about what's a problem that you could solve. You found that somebody else was solving the problem, but that you could help do it better or faster, different, whatever, how you want to describe it. Where do the ideas come? Yeah, it's funny. I appreciate that question because I was going about the, the, the ideation wrong at first. And so we left DC. I was honestly kind of burned out. You know, I built the company living in a cubicle. Like I was ready to just like be done with business for a while. And so that first year that we were traveling and playing, it was awesome. By the second year, I started getting bored and, and missing like, you know, having a purpose. And so I started thinking, okay, like let's, let's what's the next business going to be? And I started kind of trying to force the ideas. And, and, you know, for better or for worse, I actually had a journal. I did like an idea a day journal and I would force myself to write down one idea every single day, which is actually a cool process. And I recommend people do that because it just makes you look around. Like you're really looking closely at your surroundings to see like, what can I make a business out of knowing you have to write something down every day. It's stimulating, right? But ultimately, like it was, I, I was trying to force this thing. It's like forcing love, right? Like you don't just go out and say, I'm going to get married in two weeks. You have to kind of let it happen naturally. So I took a year of trying to force, you know, the idea of what am I going to do next? What business am I going to build? Look at the industries, blah, blah, blah. And then I gave up and stopped. And I was like, all right, just relax. I'm like, let me just do a Venn diagram of my skill set from Storyblocks and things I like doing because I really like building businesses in areas that are like personally enjoyable. Like for Storyblocks, I shot video, right? I was an editor and a shooter. That's why I built the company. And so I started thinking, well, what, what do I enjoy doing? Well, the biggest thing was RVing at that time. Well, RVing and skiing, but I couldn't think of any really good businesses in skiing. But in RVing, I'm like, I could, you know, what's in the middle of this Venn diagram? It would be RVing on one side, you know, video production, stock video on the other. In the middle, it was memberships and it was online marketing and it was technology, websites, apps. And so I thought, well, what's interesting? Like, could I build a membership within the RV world that I could then sell much like I did at Storyblocks. And that led me to a 30-day goal. And I do love doing these 30-day goals where once a day, I would do something that would progress me getting towards finding or creating a membership in the RV world. And so every day I was like, you know, I started by researching, you know, what memberships exist and reaching out to companies, get to know them better, blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget, it was like a Saturday. I was kind of hungover. I really didn't want to do my like, you know, thing of the day but I was like, I have to, I'm committed to this goal. I'm going to do it. And so I kind of begrudgingly reached out to Harvest Host's owners cold through a web through their form. And I was just like, I love this business idea. Have you ever, like, would you sell it for the right price? And that was my opening like salvo. <laughs> and, and that ended up leading to, you know, downline to the answer. But so I think that's my way of saying to you, like having some structure around this, like if I hadn't been doing my idea a day concept, would I have found or, or done this? Maybe, but it certainly accelerated the process. And two, by sitting down and creating a Venn diagram of my strengths and my interests overlapping with previous experiences, I think that really helped me get clarity around what the business was going to be. And Joel, the 30-day goal, what you're talking about there is doing something every day for 30 days towards a particular objective? Totally. And so, and, and I've been really good about, for the last five years, I've been doing, 
I, I realized with Storyblocks, like you in most companies, you have a board meeting once a month, right? Where you sit down for a couple hours and you really get into the weeds. Like, how is the business doing? Positives, negatives, financials, goals for the next month. And so I'm like, why don't people do this for their personal lives? And so I actually created a PowerPoint presentation, a, de- a board deck on my own personal life. And I've been diligent every single month for the last five years. I go through and I say like, you know, three up, three down, what went well, what didn't go well, tracking things I'm doing. So I'll set goals, like what books am I going to read next month? So sometimes I do these, sometimes I don't, but what personal 30-day goals am I going to do? And for example, Duolingo, learning Spanish was a 30-day goal. I'm now on day 180. And so it's like stuck as a habit, but I do it for business sometimes too. And so, so I started, you know, doing this like monthly personal board meeting and the 30-day goals are just a part of that for me. It's interesting. And you alluded to it a little bit there, but I want to go back where to make sure that everybody listening understands what Storyblocks does and how that business was created. Because thinking about our, our conversation today and thinking about what you're doing with Harvest Host, it's always been interesting to me how you link your passions and your businesses, right? You're always in and around things that you're passionate about personally. And in many ways, just like Harvest Host started with this RV hobby, Storyblocks began with the video hobby. So talk about that. Talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, totally. I I am now completely convinced that you can build a business around something you enjoy doing, and that and you know and everyone's heard the cliche like if you love what you're doing, it's not work. It's totally true, right? Like every every day I wake up, I love RVing, I love travel. Like right now we're working, right? This is a blast. So not a single day in the last three years that I've worked on Harvest Hosts has it ever felt like work, and it's just been fun the whole time. But it was the same thing at Storyblocks because I liked shooting video. And I guess like, and this is just me, but when I do something I really like, I naturally kind of think like, how could I get this to more people? And can I make money as a byproduct of that? And so with shooting video, it was stock video, right? So I loved going to like somewhere like New York City and shoot a bunch of stock video. And I'm like, well, man, this is really good stuff. How can I share this with other people? Well, the answer was sell it as stock video to production companies. They benefit by saving money, you know, and putting it into their productions. I benefit by making money on it. And it felt great because it was my own personal work. And Harvest Host is the same thing. The, the more members we have on our platform, the more that our company makes, but also all the small businesses that we support, these like 2,000 small businesses, this year, they're going to make $40 million from our members. And we don't take any of that money. We don't charge them anything. And so every, like as we grow, the businesses we work with benefit, our members benefit, and of course, we benefit sitting in the middle. So I guess that's like my long-winded way of saying like, it frustrates me when I have friends try to come up with business ideas solving for the money part, because that's the hardest way to do a business, I think. Because like, you like, look, you can make money in port johns and some people do, and that's fine. But like, I personally would not wake up every morning and, and get excited about making money in port johns And so for me, would it be worth grinding to make a bunch of money in port johns Probably not. I'd rather make less money and do something that I actually enjoyed doing. So Joel, has this always been part of your DNA? I mean, did, did you grow up in a household with other entrepreneurs and around it from an early age? Yes. So totally. I would say I've wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was like five. And I, I was always obsessed with selling stuff. I mean, it did, around five, I like to take stuff. My dad would support me. So I had very supportive parents, which is great. But I, he would take me to the community store and I'd set up a shop in front and I would sell little wares, right? This I kind of got hooked on this idea of like selling something, getting money for it. The person buying it loves it. I love it. Everyone's happy. It's, it's such a rush, right? Like to me, selling something is a huge rush. So that kind of, you know, 
grew. And when I was 10 years old, I was, I played golf. I realized a lot of golfers lose golf balls and then they have to pay a bunch of money for golf balls. And so I started collecting golf balls all over Bryce Resort where I lived, getting other kids to help me collect them. And we, I built a stand selling used golf balls. And every day I'd go and collect 20 bucks in cash out of this stand. And it was awesome. And then things really kicked into gear when the internet came around for me. I was 12 years old and my parents bought me my first computer. And by the end of that first year, I was on eBay selling software and making thousands of dollars a year as a 12-year-old. But the beauty was no one knew how old I was, so it didn't matter. So my first year on eBay, I was a power seller on eBay. And what I liked about it was it was like the great equalizer because no one was going to take a 12-year-old seriously. No one knew I was 12. My username was Hobby Auctions, right? And I was just selling a ton of software. It made no difference who I was. It mattered that my product was good. And so that, that's what got me started on really kicking, I think, entrepreneurship into gear was technology. Because now all of a sudden I had the tools and that just kind of continued. And like there was many you know, iterations of businesses between that and the next thing. And by the way, the software I was selling was to collect Hot Wheels cars. Because you can probably see behind me here, I have all these little Hot Wheels. Love Hot Wheels. And so as a kid, I was obsessed with Hot Wheels. I had thousands of Hot Wheels. And I thought, how can I make money off this hobby? And the way was creating a collectible software that people could organize their whole collections inside of. And I expanded from Hot Wheels to every other collectible you can imagine on eBay. I just went down the list and made it for every, for every collectible. But yes, to your point, I've always liked building businesses out of passions and hobbies because A, you understand them really well. So you're like really good at knowing what to sell and B, they're really fun. So it, when you're working late at night, it feels like you're playing. Well, it's fun, like you said. And you also mentioned they're working late at night. This show, Joel, you and I have talked about, it's called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. It's based on a philosophy that I have that great teams, great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways. They take on roles far outside the boundaries of their job description. They never say that's above me. They never say that's beneath me. They just do what needs to be done. It was a lesson that I learned about 17 years ago on my first day working in minor league baseball. I thought I was going to be learning the business of sports, which was a passion of mine. And the general manager of the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees told me, Andrew, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the first day of your internship. Now, tomorrow, bring a pair of old clothes, put them in the locker room, and you're going to help the grounds crew pull the tarp on and off the field. And I was like, what? What, what are you talking about? Don't you have a grounds crew? He says, yes. But Andrew, we have the same grass, the same dirt, the same field size as the Yankees, right? I said, yep. He said, the only difference is the big league club has, you know, let's say 20 people on the grounds crew. We have six or seven, and it's really heavy. And when it's raining hard and it's really windy, we need more people to pull it. So me, the general manager, you, the new intern, the CFO, the head of marketing, the guy in ticket sales, we're all going to pull the tarp. And it just stuck with me throughout my career. And as I you know, moved along in my career, started to hire people, started to work with more people, I realized that people that were the most productive, the people that I wanted to work with the most, people that seemed to be the most successful were what I had started to call these tarp pullers, these people who were just willing to do whatever it takes. And, and I don't think there's a truer tarp puller than an entrepreneur or somebody like you now who you know, is an entrepreneur you know, and bought a business and is now growing and scaling a business because you have to wear so many hats. Talk about that for a minute and share some thoughts and, and perspectives. Yeah, totally. By the way, I love, I love that. I love the analogy and where it came from. That's a cool story. And it's funny too, the, the way that Leanne, our, our, our new CFO, recommended I talk to you because one of the cultural tenets that we basically, you know, she said, we need to you know, start putting together some culture. And I said, well, one of them is going to be everyone cleans the RV. And it came from a cultural tenant we had at Storyblocks that was everyone empties the dishwasher. 
And it's exactly what you were saying, where the idea is no one's above anything. Like when you start getting into businesses where someone thinks they're too good to do stuff, it becomes dangerous and they become bureaucracies. Whereas if everyone's willing to pull the tarp, empty the dishwasher, clean the RV, you just get better results. And so I'm always a fan of doing every job before I hire for it, because then I know exactly who to hire for it. Number one. Number two, I know the results to expect. And number three, there's like this earned respect around, hey, before you came on board, I was doing this. So I've been where you're, I've been where you are. I was never too good for this job. I did this job and now here we are. And so that's, you know, that's certainly how it was at Storyblocks. I built that from the ground up, just me until, you know, I grew up to like 100 employees. At Harvest Host, it was similar though. I bought the company. I did everything from customer service through marketing, but then very quickly, more quickly than the first time, hired people to take over those roles. And so that's why I think it's great. I think it's great to, to do, as an entrepreneur, do the roles first and then hire for them. I tell people ask me all the time for, and sometimes it's a college student or somebody who's graduated from school recently. And they say, Andrew, what, what's your biggest recommendation for me to get started? And I said, there's no task or there's no job that you're not going to learn something from, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I think about that summer uh, working in minor league baseball. I dressed up as the mascot. I set up a moon bounce. I waved the orange light and parked cars. I drove players' wives to the airport. I did whatever was asked of me. But at the end of the day, the common thread, when I look back on it all, was it was a lot of customer service, client service, solving problems, things of that nature, right? And it was these portable skill sets that I needed to learn at a young age that I continue to draw upon to this day. I still talk fondly about my experience being a camp counselor, because at the end of the day, you know, there's not much more you know, conflict resolution that you need to do you know, than in a, a bunch of youngsters. You have to manage the expectations of the parents. You have to you know, get everybody on the same sheet of music as to whether or not we're going to play t-ball or, or baseball or we're going to play soccer that day. I still draw upon these things. When, when you think about some of the experiences early in your career, maybe even going back to the days that, you know, of being an eBayer, what's something that you continue to go back to? Yeah, well, I mean, I, by the way, I think that's another unintended positive externality of doing all these different things and being forced to do all these different things is you learn what, you, what you're good at. Right. And you, and you learn what you, what you like to do. And so I can tell you that there were certain things I was better at than others. Right. So like customer service, super important. But I realized that I just wasn't the most patient person that we needed customer support people who are just better and more patient. Right. Like I like to solve things quickly and, and that can not always necessarily be the best way to do customer service. But on marketing, I love marketing. I love data. And I only learned that probably from my eBay days of building spreadsheets to like try to figure out pricing for these for software keywords to use, I realized that data was very powerful and that I could like utilize it to make even more success. So for me, it's, it's been around the marketing side of business and then hiring, hiring really good people. And one of the other cultural tenets that we had at Storyblocks and that we're going to have at Harvest Hosts is we hire people who deserve to have egos, but don't. And it's pretty well represented in everyone that I've ever brought into our teams. Like they're A players, awesome, awesome individuals but they're not egotistical. They're not jerks. They're really like humble and down to earth. And I think that's like, I mean, everyone can do their own hiring, but that's who I like to hire. And then we have an amazing team. I absolutely love that. I'm going to write that down. Hire people who, who should have egos, but don't. That is fantastic advice, Joel. And that gets me to part of the, the next place I, wanted to, I want to go is 
on building a team, right? So much, you know, so much of being an entrepreneur or running a, a smaller company and scaling it is that time in solitude, you know, the, the unseen hours where people don't see you and you're working behind the scenes and you're, you're grinding. But then there comes a point when, like you said, at Storyblocks, you have to grow the business. You know, you grew the business up to 100 people. How do you balance kind of the ownership and the, that personal equity that you have in the business, not the financial equity, but that personal sweat equity that you have in the business with now bringing new people on board and starting to let the, the toddler walk away from you a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first started hiring people, it was really hard because there was a couple, and I was really young, of course, but like, but there was a couple of things going through my mind. One was I could do this job myself. Therefore, why don't I save some money and do it myself? The answer I learned later on was you burn out. So if you try to do too much yourself without hiring good people, you're choking the business. You're not letting it grow as fast as it could. And you're going to burn yourself out. The second part was, you know, I was like, man, these people's lives are like in my hands. That's a lot of responsibility. How do you deal with that? But you know, you just don't think about it like that. You hire the right people for the job and typically it works out really well. And sometimes it doesn't work out and, you know, and people go their own separate ways, but it's really not the end of the world. And so I very quickly became accustomed to hiring good people and then just letting it go. Right. And then I'm not a micromanager. If anything, I'm probably on the other end of the spectrum almost too much. Like I, I really like letting people run with their own like ownership. And so collaborate on goals, right? Say like, Hey, Angela, like, here's what we're trying to get done. Let's agree this is the goal. Go do however you want. Like work whenever you want, work from wherever you want. And this was my mentality before COVID. Now it's really great, right? Because of course, like we're a fully remote company. We have employees in like all different time zones, some in RVs, some in like houses. But that's my mentality to this day is just hire the right people, meaning you can agree on the common goals and then step out of the way. But I'm always upfront too when I hire people and I say like, we hire people who are self-starters because you're not going to get micromanagement here. You're not going to get a ton of like looking over the shoulder assistance. You need to be able to run with this on your own. So we're good about hiring those types of people. So I think that's the key is just know exactly what you, what kind of people you want, and then just kind of be true to yourself on that. So Joel, you mentioned earlier, before I let you go, we've got to go back to the skiing. You, you talked about you know how, how, how much passion you have for skiing and you live in Vail. One of the un- other interesting things about you, Joel, is that you're part of the Vail Mountain Rescue Team. So talk about that for a minute. How did that all come about? And that must give you some unique experiences that you can bring to other aspects of your, your life and businesses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, going back to the Venn diagram, Vail Mountain Rescue is outside of all of my Venn diagrams. <laughs> well, maybe with the exception of being a good skier. But yeah, Vail Mountain Rescue, it's a search and rescue team for Eagle County, Colorado. So we're, we're part of the sheriff's office. It's a volunteer team. And anytime there is anything that happens off the highway. So if someone's hiking or they're skiing backcountry or snowmobiling, if you get injured and call 911, our team goes in to rescue. And it's a really, I mean, it's amazing. It, it, it's an amazing group. In Colorado, every county has their own search and rescue team. I got involved because I was looking for a way to give back to the community. And so we had lived here for about three years. I realized I take a lot from Vail right? Like I take, I love skiing. I like, you know, like I was taking it all in, like it was benefiting me greatly. And aside from paying taxes, I wasn't really giving much back. And so I felt like, Hey, if this is going to be a place that we're going to really put down roots and become, you know, this is our community. I need to be a part of the community to me, like working in a soup kitchen doesn't do it. It's just not going to work for me. So I was like, okay, what, what are my skills? I am good at backcountry stuff. And so I reached out to the team. I was like, Hey, is there a way I can get involved? You know, there's an academy and you go through a lot of training, but it's been awesome. It's been an amazing experience. It's been great. I've learned a ton, right? So I've learned leadership skills. 
I've learned how to perform under pressure, which is not really something that you get from business, right? In a, for the most part, business is like, you can take your time and make decisions in a relaxed environment, right? Here I am sitting in my office in a really comfy chair. Sure, I got to make some spending decisions today, but I'll probably go have an espresso before I do that. Whereas in like a search and rescue scenario, like someone's dying and you have to get there in 20 minutes to save their life, it is flustering. And so learning how to work under pressure has been super, I mean, it's been a learning experience. Well, it also probably gives you some perspective, right? Because maybe maybe there was a time in the early days of your career at, at Storyblocks or what have you, when you thought you were experiencing real pressure and then you know, you say, okay, looking back, you know, that wasn't such a hot seat, you know, maybe at that board meeting or, or whatever, what I'm doing right now with Vail Mountain Rescue is, is a pretty hot seat. Yeah, man. And it, totally. And it gives you, and it gives a real appreciation for life, right? Like, cause you learn when you do something like this, like that, there's a very thin line between life and death and you end up seeing both often. And so then it's like, okay, am I really going to stress out that much about a marketing campaign that didn't work? At least I didn't die. Right. Like it's like it really does put things in perspective. And then I, we, my wife and I just had a, a baby girl three and a half months ago. That puts things in a whole nother perspective. And I know you congratulations. Have kids. Thank you. So you, you get it. But like it, all of a sudden, then it's like, whoa, not only you realize like you're done living for yourself and there's some, there's another like counterparty that's very, very important. And that changes your whole risk profile and decision making process as well. So yeah, man, anything you can do that puts life in perspective is great. I think if you, and probably most of your listeners are not like this, but if you're sitting at home, you're stressing out about something stupid, you need to ask yourself, maybe I need to do, do things that give me a different perspective on life. That's a very interesting perspective there, not to use the word uh, again, Joel, but I think that's a great place for us to end. I think that leaves all of us with a lot to think about and mull over. And it's always, you know, in my opinion, about perspective. Joel, nobody has been uh, you know, pulling the tarp more than you. It's been great to sit down with you and, and catch up a bit and, and hear how things are going at Harvest Host. Keep up the good work. We're all rooting for you. And, and let's do this again sometime. Thanks, Andrew. This is fun. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining me this week. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you can catch all of our upcoming episodes. And if you are like me and want a world full of tarp pullers, then leave a review to help others find us. You can also follow me on Instagram at andrewmoses123 and sign up for my monthly email newsletter at everybodypullsthetarp.com slash newsletter. I'll share tips and insights to help you achieve maximum success and happiness. Today is a great day to pull the tarp. I am rooting for you. See you next time.